And while they're passing those out, uh, today's going to be a little different, and I need to ask you guys to do a favor for me. I hope I've uh, earned some credit that that you can do a a favor for me. Um, Today, rather than thinking of this as a sermon, when people think of a sermon, they have certain baggage that comes along with that or certain expectations. Would you do me the favor today and allow me uh, and think about this more as like a workshop? Okay, can you raise your hand if you're willing to do that for me? Think of this more as a workshop than a a sermon. Okay, but in saying that, thank you. um, But in saying that, I don't want you to think that the Bible's not involved in what we're talking about today. In fact, as we talk about creativity, you'll see the whole foundation of creativity comes from God. And if we take the Bible and create, uh, out of creativity, you don't have anything left because God is the source of creativity. So it is a very biblical and Christian subject that we're going to talk about, one I'm, I'm actually very excited about. Okay, everybody have a piece of paper or in a pen? Raise your hand if you don't. All right, and look to stand up. Okay, looks good. Okay, to start us off today, I'm going to get my stopwatch here. All right, find a partner. Turn to somebody next to you. Everybody needs to have a partner. Really quick, get a partner and raise your hands when you've got that partner. Somebody should, they should be sitting next to you. So you, some may need to move. All right, raise your hand when you have your partner. Some people don't have a partner yet. Okay. All right, put your hands down. Put your hand up if you don't have a partner. Who doesn't have a partner? All right, somebody please help Michelle. Oh, there we go. All right, anybody else doesn't have a partner? That's very important. Okay, great. Now get out your pencil or pen and your blank sheet of paper, and I'm going to give both of you at the same time 30 seconds, just 30 seconds, to draw a picture of that other person. Okay? (laughs) Do the best that you can in 30 seconds. Ready? Go. Go. 30 seconds. <laughs> 15 seconds. Okay, ready, stop. Okay, now go ahead and share your picture with the other person. Okay, um, I'm hearing a lot of laughter. Okay, what about, uh, I thought I heard a few apologies. Did anybody apologize? Raise your hand if you like apologize. Okay, I see a few people made apologies. Okay, now this actually is a classic study that was done at Stanford at the, uh, the director of design studies there in the 60s used to do this, a man named Bob McKim. Uh, And what he found was your reaction was the standard reaction for all adults. After they're done, look at their picture, look at the other picture. A lot of laughter, embarrassment, some apologizing. Okay, And what he found was that adults have a fear of evaluation of our peers and are embarrassed to show our ideas, usually, to other adults. So there's nervous laughter and apologies. All right, now that's kind of interesting. But what's really interesting, when he did this with kindergartners, do you know what the response was when they're done? There's not laughter. There's no apologies. Instead, there's pride and excitement. They show their picture and they're proud of it. They want their picture to go up on the refrigerator. Okay? Isn't that interesting? And uh, many of you have heard of uh, Madeline Langle that wrote the book, A Wrinkle in Time. Very amazing book. 
she did some research, and I, I didn't get the author that she quoted, but she quoted a study that was done that found that with youth, they did tests that test how creative a person is. And at five years old, 90% of five-year-olds test as being creative. But two years later, at age seven, only 10% test as being creative. Isn't that fascinating? In two years' time, 90%, it goes from being 90% being creative, testing creative, to two years later, testing as not creative. Something happens in that two-year time. And I'm not exactly sure. I'm, there's some kindergarten and uh, teachers here. Patty, I know she's an award-winning teacher. I don't really have it figured out. If you've got some ideas, I'd like to hear them. Um, I've got some ideas. One that I've thought of is our adult reaction to showing our, our creative skills and our work to others is, is a lot of shame, kind of. We laugh and we're embarrassed. There's a little bit of shame there. It reminds me of Adam and Eve. You know, we don't really want to show our picture. We want to cover our nakedness. It kind of makes, we feel vulnerable that uh, some deficiency that we have is, is being uh, revealed. But the kindergartners aren't embarrassed. They're happy. They want to show it off. But two years later, something happens in that time. And I'm not exactly sure what that is. Perhaps it's in our school system, once you get to first grade and second grade, the emphasis isn't so much on creativity as uh, no child gets left behind. We've got to, every child's got to learn this certain amount of information. It's about getting the task done. Perhaps that's part of it, that the focus becomes on that and less on developing students' creativity. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, it really is a great, the great creativity heist that happens. Somebody is stealing that. I don't think that's natural. I don't think that's what God intended. I think he intends for us to be creative. And I'll admit, I think some people are especially creative. <coughs> but I was at a excuse me, a meeting recently, and it was in creative arts, and they began using this term creatives. Oh, you creatives. And I started thinking about that. Oh, so there's two categories. There's the haves and the have-nots, the creatives and the not creatives. And apparently 10% of the world is the creatives, and then the rest of us are just not. And I started thinking, does that seem consistent with the Bible? No, I would agree. There's some people that are especially creative, but we're created in God's image. We read that passage. God creates man and woman, the crowning achievement of his creation. And what does he say? It is very good. Do you, do you grab the pleasure that God had? As he was creating all, all five other days, he said, it, it is good. God got pleasure from creating the world. And then the crowning achievement, man and woman, he says, it is very good. And we're created in God's image. So that's why when your children do a picture, they feel good about it. They want, Daddy, put this up on the refrigerator. A child is excited. And we're that way. When we create something, we create a new dish at home. We've never made it before, and it turns out it's like, yeah, that feels pretty good. Or we create a night, we write an article about some lesson we've learned. You know, we, cr we created that. It feels good. Or, you know, like Singh, he's a woodworker. You know, you build something. My dad was a woodworker, and so he taught me a few things. And whenever I finish a project, and if it turned out reasonably well, there's a very tangible sense of, yeah, that, that feels good. I like that. For this, I'm going to show you a bunch of slides of different things our family's creative, created over the years. And I just kind of threw a bunch of them together last night and this morning. But it was so fun. Everything that I look at, I was like, oh, it brings back memories and it brings back a good feeling. It really does. Years later. And things that we, we brought out this morning, Helen had me take a picture of a, 
wooden frame we made, the both of us together as a joint project. Those bring me some of the most pleasure. That has been like 20 years ago we made that. And I looked at it, and I, it made me feel so good. I was just, I got a lot of pleasure from that. And that's because I am created in God's image. You are created in God's image. That's why we feel joy when we create. And I think that's part of, I think it's a partly a spiritual battle. I think Satan doesn't want us to enjoy that pleasure. Or he wants to divorce that pleasure from God and just, uh, like we know many artists that just love creating for creativity's sake. God has nothing to do with it. Uh, but I, God's not honored by that, of course. Um, it's, it's all about God. And, and I don't want to say today, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying this is the key to the Christian life. If you just do more creative projects, you'll be happier and life will go well and we'll, everything will be wonderful. I'm not saying that. But I am saying... I want to encourage everyone here to be more creative because you will be happier. You will get more pleasure. And God is okay with that. It's endorsed by God. What are those political commercials? I am God and I stand by this message. That's what he says. He endorses creativity because we couldn't create anything if it wasn't for him. He's the source of all creativity. So create, you're in God's image. We talk a lot in discipleship about uh, our goal is to become more Christ-like. But does, whenever we're getting discipled, do we ever hear, oh, you should be more creative so you can be more Christ-like? That's a pretty rare that you hear that. But if was Jesus creative? We're going to talk about that. I think he was very creative, stunningly creative. And if we're to be more Christ-like, then we need to be that way. So one of the things I hope will happen today is, well, let me just ask, okay, 10% of the world are the creatives. So raise your hand if you're, you think reasonably, yeah, I'm, I think I'm, I'm a creative. Raise your hand, go ahead. Um, it should be about 10%. Raise your hand up high so we can see. Okay, yeah. All right, and then the rest of you, bow your head in shame. <laughs> you ain't got it. They're the haves, and you're a have-not. Sucks to be you, doesn't it? <laughs> no, we all have a measure of creativity. We may not be highly creative or the most creative, but we all love to create things. We all have that ability, and we all get pleasure from creating. So that's one thing I want you, I hope everybody will leave today. Not realizing, no, there's not this division of creatives and non-creatives. We're all creative because we're all created in God's image. And I will get more pleasure as I create more. Especially as I follow God's Spirit, as the Spirit leads me to be creative in different ways. A another big myth is that creativity is only about art. Uh, it's only about drawing or painting. No, creativity comes up, like I said, writing an article. Maybe it's Pastor Paul comes up with a, a plan for how we're going to do prayer and fasting. And that plan comes from God. That's creativity. He created that plan by God's Spirit. You know, you plan the, the meals for a week in your family. That involves creativity. You're creating something. Okay? And I know some people object and say, well, but you say, we're going to talk about how God loves variety. And some people say, well, I like to eat a tuna fish sandwich every day of the week for lunch. I like the same thing. I don't want to be more creative. Don't make me eat pizza for lunch. Okay. You know, God creates variety. He's created some people that like things the same most of the time. That's okay, too. So I'm not, gonna, I'm not trying to change everybody. But I do want to change some of our, our thinking here. So, what is creativity? Creativity is when an individual or a group uses ideas, images, or concepts that they previously never or rarely used in something they make, create, or design. So, one definition of creativity is it's when individuals use imagination. 
So I looked up, well, what's imagination? Imagination is when you use ideas, concepts, uh, or uh, images that you rarely have used, okay, to create something. So creativity is using your imagination to make something. And imagination is using something you, you rarely or never use. It's not saying imagination and creativity is when you use something no one else has ever used. And I'm doing it for the first time. No. It's very rare that any of us, I mean, I can't think of any sermon I've ever preached that wasn't influenced by some other sermon or teaching or something I've heard. I, I don't come up with hardly anything truly original. I used to joke, one of my favorite quotes used to be, the key to creativity is an obscure source. You know, and there's a little bit of truth in that. I mean, in that all of my creativity was always linked to some idea I got from some be- somewhere. And it maybe if people have never heard of it, they think, oh, that was really creative. And I know, well, not really. I, I know where that idea came from. Uh, and if I use most of the idea, I mean, I try to give credit. I don't want to, we're not advocating plagiarizing here. But creativity, I think the definition is important. Okay, you might say, oh, I'm going to make a, this brownies with mint chocolate in it or something. I've never done that before. Okay, now is that creative? Well, other people have made that before. So some might say, well, that's not creative. But no, you've never done that or you've rarely done that. So for you, that is creative. And you can celebrate it and you'll get joy from doing it different, especially if it turns out. Um, we'll talk often, it doesn't turn out when you try to be creative, but eventually if you stick with it, you get some measure of success generally. So it's you, something, some idea or image or concept that you've rarely or never used before. Okay, That's what makes it creative. Not that no one's ever done it. You don't have to be original. There's a big difference between originality and creativity. It's not just for artists, it's for everyone. Okay, and, and the key to this, I'm going to spend a couple minutes, I hope you really catch the core of this, is the idea that God's creative, He loves to create, and that's why we enjoy creating, because we're created in His image. But sometimes we haven't thought about that, um, how God is creative. We, we see that He enjoys variety for sure, and He enjoys creativity. I mean, if we look at the world, just the animal kingdom, all the variety of kinds of animals, and then the diversity within these different species, it's just amazing. If we think of the planets and the billions of planets and all the solar systems, all the different kinds of plants, the thousands, the tens of thousands of people groups, all the difference of ethnicity and the way people look. In fact, I have a, a friend that's a missionary in Indonesia, and he believes that uh, in Islam, where women cover their head, he, he believes that's really dishonoring to God, because he, he believes, uh, I mean, it doesn't make a big deal of it with, with mu- Muslims, he's not trying to put them down, but it, he believes it grieves God, and it kind of grieves him, he says, the face is one of the most miraculous things God ever created. How every person, you can distinguish them from other people by their face. And that it's, a face is so amazing. All the different aspects that, that make it up. And then there's this whole science of, is, is an asymmetric face or a symmetric face, which one's more beautiful? And there's theories on that. Uh, and beauty is uh, ascribed to, to to different kinds of faces, and but the face shows the diversity of God, how he loves variety. I mean, we look at people and personalities, and we realize, wow, God loves variety, and he loves creativity. I mean, he makes every snowflake different, every fingerprint different, every person's DNA different. So God loves variety. So I do tend to think it might be a little bit weird if, if you don't like any variety at all. Sometimes that, that might not be a good sign if God loves so much variety. But there are places where I think it makes sense that we like things to be stable and 
uh, similar and comfortable, that, that can be okay. But that's kind of a rabbit trail. We don't want to get on that. What I want to really focus on is the idea of how creative God is. And one of the ways that really comes through is through his creation, also through his communication. I think it's really evident. And I once had an exercise where for a class we had to come up with what are one or two words that you would use to summarize Jesus' communication method or what his communication was like. And the word that I came up from with was uh, impactful and transformational. Jesus' teaching always had an impact. It had transformational potential. It didn't always transform people, but if they were open to God, it would. But within that, we see many different characteristics, and I want to talk about some of them. Part of the reason it was so impactful was it was creative, and it was memorable. And because people remembered it, it had an impact. We think of what are ways that it was memorable. Jesus spoke in parables that were simple, but they were complex. You didn't always get the answer right away. But if you spent time thinking about that parable, you, and you really were seeking the truth, Jesus made his parables so that you would figure it out. Those that were hungry for the truth would, would get it. And those that weren't wouldn't get it. And it said sometimes he would talk to a crowd and he only spoke in parables. That's pretty crazy. What if today, I, I want to tell you a parable, and I told it to you. I want to tell you another parable. I told five parables, and then I sat down. That'd be a pretty weird sermon, wouldn't it? Maybe weirder than this one. All right. But that was Jesus. His communication was what we would call kind of weird, eccentric, very different. Okay. And it was always creative. Also, Jesus' communication, God's communication was often unexpected. I mean, we just think about the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about loving your enemy, returning good for evil. Do you think that's what people expected to hear? No, that was shocking, the things he was saying. Later, Jesus and Paul talked about to live, you must die. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, I'm telling you not just not to, to, to not murder. You've heard not don't murder, but I'm telling you, don't even say to your brother, you fool. I mean, you've heard in the past, don't, don't swear at all. But I'm telling you, let your yes be yes. Oh, you've heard about in the past, don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you, don't even lust in your heart. Were those things unexpected to his audience? Yes. Shockingly, the standard was here before. Now Jesus is saying, no, this is the standard in my kingdom. It was very unexpected and consequently very memorable. And because it was memorable, it was also so often impactful then other things jesus was talking about leadership and then he goes and he takes and puts a towel around his waist and he washes his disciples feet they know it's something special is getting ready to happen they haven't got it all figured out was that expected was that a unique experience Yes, his disciples, Peter and others, felt very uncomfortable. Lord, no, you can't wash my feet. Very unexpected. Was it something they remembered because it was so unexpected? Yes. It was Jesus' method. It wasn't random. He was the master teacher. He was the greatest teacher that ever lived. We think about God's communication with Balaam. He rebuked him through his donkey speaking. Was that a little bit unexpected? <laughs> I think so. Okay, he spoke to Gideon by drying the lamb's fleece. In the book of Daniel, remember the scene where they're in a banquet and suddenly a hand appears and starts writing on the wall? Would that be a little bit unexpected, a little unusual? Would that grab your attention? Uh, we're going to talk about this. Um, maybe I, oh yeah, we're going to get to it in a minute here. Uh, just how um, 
the biggest reason, biggest complaint of students, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong, is what? About their classes. A boring teacher, right? Yeah. Was Jesus a boring teacher? No, he was the farthest thing away from a boring teacher. You never knew what he was going to say. He gave a lot of unexpected things. He did unexpected things. He washed people's feet. He cast out demons. He spoke in parables. He had lots of surprises. He tells this story about love, about loving your neighbor. And who does he pick to be the hero? The Samaritan. The Jews hated the Samaritan. Jesus makes the guy the hero? Jesus, what are you doing? There's that passage in John where it says the Pharisees got so mad at Jesus, they said he's, uh, he's, he's demon-possessed or a Samaritan. They're, you know, those are the two worst things they could say. And yet the hero of Jesus' story is a Samaritan? Was that a little bit unexpected? Yes, it was. Did it grab their attention? Yes, it did. Did it make it memorable for them? Yes, it did. He was the master teacher, and he was so, so creative. Then the story told in the Middle East about a young man who wants his inheritance while his dad is still living, and then goes off and spends it. You know, in the Middle East, to ask your father for your inheritance before he dies is basically like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. But he does. A shocking story. And then he's Jewish, and was he wanting, he's, wanting, he's willing to eat the... He looks lovingly and with hunger at the, the pea pods that the pigs are eating. How would that go over with a Jew? That's a little bit shocking. And then he comes back, and what does the father do? He runs out, and he falls at his son's feet. What is he doing? A father in all of his dignity, rolling his robe up, putting it, tying it off so he can run, and then he bows at his son's feet, the son that wishes he was dead? That's scandalous. It's shocking. But Jesus is doing it. All the time, telling the unexpected. But because it was unexpected, it was memorable, it was impactful, it was transformational. Also, we see Jesus and God's teaching that's unique and varied. Okay, he uses all kinds. God, through in the Bible, we see it's a mix of so many different genres. History, poetry, wisdom literature, songs historical accounts, narratives, stories, parables, visions and dreams. God speaks through a burning bush. Sometimes he speaks directly into somebody's heart. He speaks something to their mind. He disciplined people in so many different ways. Okay, he brought a flood in one case. At Babel, he confused languages. Pharaoh's army was crushed in the Red Sea. When Moses was uh, upset, he threw down and broke the tablets. God made the generation that didn't go into the promised land wander in the wilderness. With Jericho, he brought the walls down. That's not necessarily discipline, but uh, discipline against Jericho. Uh, he brought the walls down through trumpets and shouting. Okay, Gideon's enemies were defeated because of the sound of a rushing wind. Goliath was defeated by one smooth stone from the sling of a 13-year-old boy. And then we see there are stories like, um, there are very few places where God, in the New Testament I think there's a place where we're commanded not to show favoritism, or it talks about God doesn't show favoritism. Um, but I, I should look that up. I'm not even sure there's a command, don't show favoritism. It says God does not show favoritism. Um, but that's pretty important. In fact, that's one of the greatest ways to alienate your children. Uh, what happens with uh, Isaac and Rebecca, or Jacob and Rebecca, with, uh, oh, I'm getting mixed up here. Uh, Isaac and Rebecca with their sons, Esau and Jacob. Okay? They showed favoritism and the sons hated each other. Then Jacob later 
has 12 sons, and he favors Joseph. And what does Joseph's brothers want to do? They want to kill Joseph because he's the favored one. So God, the Bible is so strong through these stories, these captivating stories that grab your attention and you realize, man, for parents to show favoritism, that is, that is stupid. You are going to harm your children. The Bible speaks it so clearly through stories without, without giving a command not to show favoritism, does it through stories. So through unique and various ways, God makes his points, not just by commands, don't do this, don't do this, but through these narratives and these stories. And then we see, too, God hand-tailors his communication to the audience. Okay, Jesus used all kinds of metaphors and analogies from everyday life. He talked about being the bread of life. I mean, just that, if he said that and you were there, Jesus is the bread of life, and then you walked away, you could think about that idea for a long time. What does that mean? Jesus is the bread of life. Okay. I had a professor once told us, gave us an hour alone. He says, all I want you to think about is this idea. The Lord is my shepherd. That's it for an hour? And I remember when we went out for a walk, I came back and I was still trying to figure it out. That's a, so rich, just that one idea. Jesus used everyday things and hand-tailored his message to the audience. He said, I am the good shepherd. Just think how long a shepherd could think about that idea. Okay, I am the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, the life. I am the true vine. Okay, the book of Esther, it doesn't even mention God in it. And yet it has a powerful message about who God is and how he is in control. Forty-some authors over several thousand years write the Bible, and it is so varied, and yet the hand of God is so evident that it was breathed by God. And it's an amazing book. He hand-tailors the stories to the audience. And then he makes it multi-sensory. I, I think even of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine we we break it and we, we drink it. Baptism, we're immersed in water. And all of those have religious symbolic, uh, symbology that's, that's very rich. The truths communicated are so deep in baptism that we're buried with Christ and raised to new life. And just one day we'll die, but we'll rise again and spend eternity with God. We take the bread and it says before he gave thanks and he broke it. Now, we know from scriptures, Jesus' body, none of his bones were broken, but we could say if he was given 39 lashes, they gave him 39 knowing that 40 is what usually killed a person. We could say, yes, his body was broken. Just think of the rich symbolic of that when we take that loaf of bread, the one loaf, the Bible says we're one body, one loaf of bread, and then we break it. And that represents Jesus' body was broken for us. Incredible symbology and analogies and images, metaphors that God gives us. Often multi-sensory. The ten plagues, when God devastates the Egyptians, the Red Sea, or the Nile River turning red with blood the gnats and the frogs, and then them dying. And can you imagine the stench? Do you think they forgot about those ten plagues for the rest of their life? I bet you some of them never could get the stench out of their nose of the different things that died. And yet looking over and seeing the Israelites not being affected at all. And then the, the Passover lamb. If you read the scriptures, it talks about Every family was to bring the lamb in and they were to feed it. I think it's like for two weeks. Think of your family. Pastor Paul comes by, brings a little cute little lamb to every family in the, in the church. He says, I want you to keep it and feed it for two weeks. Imagine your kids. They are going to fall in love with that lamb, aren't they? It's going to be the cutest. Mommy, can we keep it as a pet? And what's mommy going to say? Talk to your dad about that. 
because then they're told to kill it and drain its blood and then cook and eat it. All right, that's a bit of a doozy to explain to your kids that whole one. Would it be memorable? Yes. Would then communicating later this idea of our Savior coming, shedding His blood for us, become more personal? Our Savior whom we adore, just like the kids adored that lamb. God is just such an incredible communicator. And there are those surprises in it that we have to think about and try to figure out. And it's God's so creative, so amazing. He uses many different senses. And he makes these stories that capture our hearts because he knows it's our heart that's the key. And then secondly, God's got a secret weapon. Okay, it's the most powerful communication method ever devised. What is it? Incarnational teaching, incarnational living. God incarnates himself as a man. He becomes a man. He, the messenger, becomes the message. He embodies everything in the message. So that when you're seeing Jesus, you're seeing the message that he is God and man, that he's come to reconcile the world, and you come to understand God, the holy God. So he incarnates himself. He rubs life on life with the disciples for three years. Every day he's walking around with them, living day-to-day life with them. If that's not a powerful way to communicate, I don't know what it is. What is so he is so creative in his communication. So should we, should we be creative in our communication? Raise your, nod your head, yes or no. Okay, yes, we should be creative in our communication. So, so Einstein and Paul and Wade as the pastors, all right, we better pay attention, right? It's just for us. No, all of us, those that are teachers, at your work, every, we all communicate all the time. We need to be creative like God was. Okay? Parents. Here's an area probably we all could use a little more creativity. Do you find yourself saying the same things when, when you're frustrated by your child? All right, youth, do you guys ever hear... Feel like your parents are telling you the same thing. Oh, here it comes again. Okay? Maybe they need to try something a little different. I was talking, I remember hearing this example of a, a father whose kids said, they were watching some movie, the father came in and there was like a bad scene on the TV. He said, kids, what do you do watching this movie? Oh, dad, it's just this one part that's bad. What do you mean it's just one part that's bad? That's a horrible movie. You shouldn't be watching that. Well, Dad, it's just that part. The rest of the movie's fine. So that night, they came for dinner, and he brought out a pan of brownies. He said, okay, here, kids. I want you to give them all a piece. He said, I, he said you know, you're telling me today that only 1% of that movie was bad. It's an hour and 20 minutes, so 1 minute and 12 seconds were bad. 10% or 1%. So I went out back, and I, got, I, I weighed the brownie mix, and I weighed, and I just put 1% of dog poop in these brownies. <laughs> Okay, so here you go. Go ahead and eat it. It's only 1%. The rest of it is pure. It's fine. So, so go ahead and eat it. All right, would that be maybe a creative way to get your kids' attention in that matter? All right. I was thinking of doing that and bringing it with me because uh, we have cats. Uh, <laughs> but I thought, no, I'll, inst- I'll put it in one corner and I'll put a bunch of chocolate chips and then I'll take that piece and see who will eat it. And then I'll take a bite of it, and I'll really get a reaction. <coughs> that would be creative, right? I don't know how wise that would be. Okay. So, yes, creativity is so needed today. Students, we all know, man, it's such a bummer to have a boring teacher. <coughs> Excuse me. Bruce Wilkinson uh, is one of the great Bible teachers in America. 
he had a class about teaching and style. And he found that there was a a research done. Thank you. That uh, they they took the same amount of material, material and they found three teachers that had been rated as boring, average, and dynamic. And they gave this material, the same content, to these teachers and had them teach the content. And then they tested all the students. The boring teachers, students, their average score was 45. The average teachers, students, average score was 70. And 90 was the score that dynamic teachers, students got. The dynamic teacher, the non-boring teacher, their students learned twice as much as the teacher that was boring. I think we should think about this too uh, with devotionals. The Bible is such an exciting story. I'm amazed sometimes at how boring some people can make it in family devotionals. Okay? And then we wonder why our kids aren't more interested in reading the Bible. Please, in your devotionals, make it more creative. Act it out. Have people play the different parts. Listen to the dramatized version of the story or watch the, Matthew, uh, the gospel according to Matthew with the happy Jesus or what they call the California Jesus. Get a little different take on it. I love that video. Okay, d- let's not bore our kids with the gospel of, of all things. So we see that God got pleasure from being creative and we get pleasure from being creative because we're created in his image. And as I said, the goal of creativity is not doing it for creativity's sake or for just our own pleasure. That's a byproduct. We are creative because God is and as a way of being more like God and to honor Him. So we don't just do it for ourselves. It's for God's sake. Then some of the results of creativity we talked about. A more interesting world filled with variety. We get pleasure from it. And our communication is more memorable and impactful. And when it is that, people learn more. That's what happens when we're creative. They're all good benefits. So this is a fun message to preach. It's just blessing. You're going to just have blessing in your life. Good things will come to you if you'll be more creative. Okay? Is everybody willing to be more creative? Do you not like good things? Anybody not want? Said, oh, I got enough good in my life. I'm good. Wade, thanks, but... I'll pass on this one. No, please, no matter how old you are, let God help you be more creative. So that's a question. For some people, you feel like you've lost your creativity. And so I want to talk a little bit about how we can stimulate it. One way is to pray. Now, this sounds like the pat Christian biblical answer for everything, right? But I always, when I think of this, think of a book we read for our kids in homeschool about George Washington Carver. Okay, anybody knew, know who he was? Who was he? What's he famous for? Not George Washington, George Washington Carver. All right, peanuts. And what about peanuts? He didn't just farm them, he did something more. Yes, he developed hundreds of uses for peanuts, okay? And he was an African-American scientist. And people were amazed that he found so many useful ways to use the peanuts, and it blessed them. So how did he do it? Every morning he started by, by praying. Oops, all right. <laughs> Got ahead of ourselves there. So he would ask God, 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 you're the creator of the universe. Show me ways that the peanut can be used. You created it. Give me your wisdom. So we should do that. God, show me how you want me to solve this problem. Is it a, you don't have to every time have a creative solution, uh, but we, we're asking God to lead us. Then we copy. Now, a lot of people have a problem with this. Well, is it creative if you're copying someone else? But the reality is... Er- you think of the greatest painters, the greatest musicians, everybody, the way that we learn is we start by, by copying, okay? 
we play a song someone else plays, and we play it over and over again, and we try to play it just like they do. And that's the way we learn. We learn to draw by, by drawing someone else's drawings and trying to imitate their style. And then over time, we gain skills, and then our own style emerges out of that. But it starts by copying others. So, there, so that's okay. There's a book uh, Teo introduced me to called Steal Like an Artist um, by Austin Kleon. It's a very helpful book. He says uh, you should, everybody should keep what he calls a swipe file where you put all your ideas. You see something you like, you take a picture of it, and you put it in that file. You see an article you like, you take it, you put it in that file. And just, he says, it's like you create an iceberg with all these ideas under the water. And over time, different ideas work themselves out, and then they come out in some way, and you use them in your own art, and it becomes your own style. So keep a swipe file. Then find a Monet of your own, of your very own. What I'm saying here is for parents and youth, go to art museums or go to museums of things you're interested in. I read this article in the New York Times that just had such a great impact. This man was saying one of the great things to do in New York City was to go to the Museum of Modern Art. And so he went, and he took his daughter along, and he said he had a, a painting there that he loved. Um, and he'd go back several times and look at it, and then his daughter would go back, uh, and he brought her and spent the whole day. And then at the end he said, did you see any, anything that really captivated you? And his daughter said, yes. And she took him to this Monet water lilies. And he told her, well, this Monet can be yours. It can be a Monet of your very own. And she said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you'll, you'll share it with many other people in New York. But every few weeks we can come back and you can look at it again. Do you like looking at it? She said, yeah, Dad, in the last hour I came back three different times just to look at it again. It's so mesmerizing. And so the dad said to his daughter, he said, he said, well, let me introduce you. He said, Sarah, this is your Monet. Monet, meet Sarah. And he looked down at his daughter, and he knew she got it when she said, hello, beautiful. I encourage you to go to art or music that you appreciate. Find the things that inspire you. Find a Monet of your very own. My Monet of my very own is a painting of a Native American Indian not far from Bo's house in Crystal Springs, the American Art Museum there. Um, just captivated. God used it at a time. I just met a short-term team that had a Native American who became a really close friend of mine, and that painting then just captured everything I loved about that, about him. This was some of the photos that they saw at their, uh, as part of going to the New York um, Metropolitan Art Museum. And they just kept saying, oh, we needed to, ex we needed to bring a, th a thesaurus because we kept saying over and over again, amazing. They'd look at paintings, amazing. What are some other words? And they were captivated with the art. And then this, it, a, paint, a picture of a painting doesn't do it justice. It's like drawing a stick figure of the Mona Lisa or something, but... This was the painting that captured his daughter's heart. This is the painting that captured mine. It's only about this big at the museum. But this idea that the, the two geese on the back almost look like wings, don't they? Like he's an angel, and yet he's this warrior. You see his bow that he's got strapped around him, and yet he's reaching for this lily, He's got his moccasins or these leggings on, you know, and, uh, and with Native Americans, the men do all their own beadwork, so this beautiful beadwork. So he's a, an artist warrior who loves nature. It's this angelic figure with this dark, imposing background. So it just captivated me. Then this is my other Monet. Uh, it's at the out in Santa Monica at the Getty Museum. And when I go there, I, it's just two haystacks, doggone it. 
uh, Cezanne's Haystacks. But I go, I'll come back 10 minutes later and I'll look and the light is different. It just, it looks so different. And it's just, the colors are so vibrant. It's like they're moving around. It's an amazing experience. One of the coolest things a parent can do for their kids is introduce them to a Monet of their very own and inspire them. I thought, too, maybe of having a creativity week here at Crossway. Maybe on the back walls here, people could display art or things that they make. Uh, But we should be thinking, how can we inspire more creativity? Also, they say often start more than one project. Some people get stuck, and if they have two projects, it can help to keep going on. Uh, Read books. We're going to talk about that in March on a workshop about reading and how that stimulates creativity. And then parents model it. Model creativity. And when your children are being creative, encourage and praise them. I also wanted to include, this, is re- this was really helpful for me because um, I, I love to do creative things. Helen does as well. Uh, but this is very helpful to realize the, the steps of a creative project. When you start, it does feel, this is the best idea ever. When we started the Crossway mural, or the mosaic, I had done one before in China, much smaller, and, uh, but it turned out really good. And so when I thought of this one and the colors, this is going to be great. Then the next step, okay, this is a little harder than I thought. All right, that project ended up taking a year and three months to complete. I thought we'd have it done at Christmas in three weeks or two weeks, I think, originally I thought it would take. All right. And then, ooh, this is going to take some serious work. Maybe some of you can remember this. Uh, Katrina, you were the ones that were hung in there the whole time, but I, maybe you experienced some of this. And then, this sucks and is boring. <laughs> I definitely felt that for a while. Then, this is hopeless. What was I thinking? We're never going to finish this. Oh, good night. And the pieces are falling off it. Oh, this is not going to work. Then, well, it'll be good to finish. Then at least it'll be done and I'll learn something for next time. And then it's done. Eh, It could have been better, but it's not as bad as I once thought it would be. I would say for this mural, when it was done, it's like, wow, it's done. It's, It's even better than I thought it would turn out. And what did I feel? What did students feel? Those that worked on that, raise your hand. Who's here that put a few pieces? All right. Any of you feel any pleasure when you look at that and observe it? Raise your hand if you get any pleasure from looking at it. Yeah. We, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We get pleasure because God gets pleasure. All okay. right. So um, I just want to, in conclusion, just show some things. This, I'm not trying to promote us. I just want to show some things. And I, I guess I just want you to experience the joy I have in showing you some things we've created. Okay. It's just added so much joy to our life, and it's a gift from God. He, we get joy because he gets joy when he creates. This was a pumpkin Helen did, of course. I don't know. If you, as soon as you look at that, you, you don't think Wade. You think <laughs> Helen. That's Helen. All right, what is this? The youth. Okay. All right, what is this? What book of the Bible, youth? Anybody remember? Deuteronomy. How do you know? And what's the theme of Deuteronomy. Second law, very good. So Bruce Wilkinson, the Bible teacher, he came up with all these slides for all the books of the Bible. How do you know that's the book of Deuteronomy? These two, two guys are singing a duet, and they're running on him. Duet, run on me. Duet, run on me. Deuteronomy. All right, very creative. And a creative way to learn the Bible. Okay? All right, this was a creative game. I won't say who that is. But it looks like they're kind of laying a turd right there. Uh, but it was a creative game that was fun. All right, that we played. All right, here's some guys with a creative pose. All right, we enjoy that. Don't, don't we get pleasure just at seeing something creative? Okay, well, we did something creative for this pictures for Abe's uh, graduation from seminary. Okay, the spoof on Star Wars. I... You know, Helen and I worked on this, and I, I just get so much pleasure to look at that. It's just it's so fun. There he is. Okay. All right. Then when our kids are creative, then they just, don't you just feel the joy of creativity? I don't know. What, 
All I know is I got a $20 Starbucks gift card for that costume, <laughs> and I got a lot of pleasure from that 20 bucks. Right, here's that frame I told you about. I put the wood together and glued it and then nailed these metal pieces on, and then Helen used a little nail and a hammer and put in that design. And it just turned out, it was so simple, but it turned out, I, don't, I mean, what do they say? It's, it's not bragging if it's true, right? <laughs> it turned out beautiful. <laughs> All right. Oops. All right. All right. Teo's beard was coffee grounds. You know, that was creative that we, we did that. Teo and I made this manhood crest as part of him becoming a teenager. We put the values of our family on there. Uh, it was very meaningful for us. Helen made the background for Mother's Day. Okay, here, the trophy, we had the Crossway Golf Tournament. All right, do you know what the trophy was? Anybody know what the trophy was? It's a coffee percolator. And I bought it for a dollar at the thrift store. <laughs> but it was, uh, I love it. It's so fun. It was a coffee percolator. All right, but it turned out to be a great trophy. All right, uh, I... This is a creative background that we had with Bo and Cindy. You guys remember that? I think Lauren must have taken this picture, or Kia. I don't know. I then This is a prize. My wife hasn't seen this. This is back in 1993 is the stamp on this photo. This is Helen with her teammates in China. They're dressed up in the old Mao uniforms. Isn't she beautiful? <laughs> Isn't that a cool picture? That's how people at that time were, were, were dressing. Okay, youth, what book of the Bible is this? Second. What are these things? What are they made of? Samuel. Second sand mules. Second Samuels. And what's the theme of, the bo of that book? King David. Okay. All right. This book? Esther, she's stirring with the S. Esther, Queen of Persia. Okay. All right, then other ways, uh, anybody been to the Museum of Tolerance or the Holocaust Museum? Wow, what a way to creatively teach. At the end of it, you have these two choices, children and others and able body. And you have no idea what's on the other end, and you walk through and it's the gas chamber you walk into, an actual replica of the gas chambers used at the concentration camps. And then as you leave, you're given somebody's name as you go in. You leave and you put the name in the computer and it tells you what happened to that person, whether they lived or if they were put in the gas chamber. Wow, creative! such a creative way. It deeply impacts us. A sign that Helen, Helen made for her mom's birthday, a creative photo of me and Abe, <laughs> my dad made this clock he was very creative and then creativity and things like this loaf of bread helen made i mean that that's a work of art there baby and it tastes great too and this helen started planting vegetables that she uses like for basil and arugula yeah so a lot of people might say oh, that's just a garden that's not creative well, she'd never planted arugula before. Lots of other people have, but for her, that was creative. And she got a lot of pleasure from that, and so did the rest of us. And there's creativity in other ways, okay? Here, this is the UCLA-Cincinnati football game that, oh, Cincinnati won. Look at that. <laughs> 76 to 17. Guess who I got to take that picture? Stan, I tricked him into taking that picture. You know, he just crushed his alma mater. <laughs> So somehow I creatively got him to take my picture in front of the sign. That was great. This Christmas, we made these bow ties ourselves. It looks pretty tricky, huh? You don't even do any sewing. It's, you just use a glue gun, a hot glue gun and a piece of material and scissors. And they turned out great. That was so fun. It doesn't always have to be hard. More of my wife's masterpieces. Oh, man. Even a Christmas cookie. When you put some creative effort into it, it brings a lot of joy. That is a great cookie. In China, I had to substitute for one of our teammates who taught at a local school, and I taught these three Vietnamese uh, boys. Their, their parents were from the Vietnamese consulate. But we did this bridge-building contest, who could build the strongest bridge with the lightest weight. And 
They were third graders. They beat the fifth graders, and they got so much pleasure from that. Their self-esteem just, I, these guys probably all end up being scientists now. Uh, just the other day, we had our picture taken. Do you like my silk scarf and that nice little touch on my outfit? Yeah. Helen gave me, it was a napkin from the table. Helen <laughs> gave me, I made it my silk scarf. <laughs> Teo had a project to design an ice cream shop logo, which it's hard to see there, but he designed that. He got a lot of pleasure from that. All right, people are creative all over the place, and it brings a lot of joy. This one may not bring everyone joy. You know what that is? <laughs> it's a Donald Trump piñata in East L.A. I saw that the other day. <laughs> Some people really like buying that thing and whacking it. Uh, but, all right, my wife signed. Went to Saddleback Rancho Cucamonga, uh, no, Rancho Capistrano. They have, this is a big tree, you can't tell it, but it was a night service. It's under a tree. They've got this outdoor display. And the worship band is just, they've laid some wood down, and it has this big semicircle. They have a worship service outside under a tree. Crazy. When our kids were younger, their friends came over. We had a, a MasterChef competition. Who could have the best breakfast and uh, best presentation? Uh, that was so much fun. Here's Kia <laughs> using the coffee ground trick again for a beard. Then different people using the signs Helen helped make. Her mother being creative with these orchids. Oh, well, this is the first uh, youth group that we had in China did this sign. That was fun. Oops, and ours here. Recently, I was teaching a class on uh, hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible. And one of the most helpful things ended up being this picture by Van Gogh of the potato eaters. But we talked about in hermeneutics, the key is authorial intent. It's what was the author's intent when he wrote the Philippians, the book of Philippians? What was his intent? And so we likened it to this idea, what was Van Gogh's intent when he painted this picture of the potato eaters? And it really helped people make this connection. Oh, I see the circumstance they learned about. He was actually a missionary among these miners. And though it was very dirty and everything, there was light. They had these, they were people that were filled with life, even though they had a hard life. Uh, and this light that shines on them. He wanted to show their, their dignity. Okay. It was a complex story, but God used that painting in a powerful way. Uh, this was the lo mosaic logo. This is a different version of it that Helen created years ago. And every time we see it, we just get a lot of joy just from seeing that. Another signs that Helen made. Other signs she's made. This was a project. I made the wood part and put it together, and Helen did the painting. This is our, this year for, this was our, instead of a Christmas tree, we've been using this manger, and we created this yarn star this year. Uh, it, it turned out. Um, my brother-in-law, he creates houses. <laughs> this is a chair Teo and I made out of used skis that we got for, $5 each pair, and there were six of them. So $30 we made this chair. And it's my, my sister-in-law keeps it at her house. And every time we see it, we just get so much joy looking at that thing. Clocks my dad made. This was sand art on vacation. Key and I did at the, at the beach using chopsticks and seashells, a glue gun. And the backing was a Coke can that we laid out. Uh, this is a light bulb I made for Teo with the filament spelling his name. A sign that Helen made was in the Lee's house for a while, other signs. And then my good friend Paul Richardson wrote this book, A Certain Risk, and in it he talks about the idea that he sees his life as an artist. He's a missionary there, but he says, whenever I go out, I see problems, kids that aren't at school, and, uh, or drug problems or gangs. And he said, I ask God, God, how do you... What do you want me to do? What do you want the church to do? What do you want our school to do? What do you want the believers in this area to do to solve this problem? To create something good out of the bad. And he asked God to give him a creative solution. He said, God, you're the master artist and here's something that's not right. How do you want to use me? And so he's really captured this idea that Creativity is, is all about, we're really doing it for God's sake. He allows us great pleasure, uh, but he moves upon us through his spirit 
to find creative solutions to the world problems around us. And that's my hope today, is that you'll be inspired to be creative for God. And the byproduct act, you'll, be, you'll experience a lot of joy. And anytime you create and have joy, that you'll just thank God for it, because he made you that way. And you get pleasure because he gets pleasure in creating. Let's pray. Lord, I do just thank you for the way that you've made us people and made your world. We just stand in awe of you, Lord. But I pray that you'd help us not to say, oh, no, it's those other people that are creative, but to realize you want us all to experience your joy through creating. And Lord, that we would do it and recognizing, Lord, I, I don't have it in me. I need your Holy Spirit to move me and direct me and guide me. I want to do it for you, Lord. And I do just thank you for all the joy that our family has gotten through creating different things, creative solutions for problems around us, creative Bible studies, creative devotionals, creative art projects. Lord, we just stand and wonder at your ways and just thank you that you are such a good God and you love to shower good blessings upon your children because you love us so much. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.